Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is understanding Uber freight with my friend Raj Sabaya. How's it going, Raj? I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you so much for having me here and delighted to be here. Yes, I'm ex- I'm excited to learn about Uber. That you know, there's been a company that we all know. Well, hear the name all the time. I've ridden in Uber, so but we're not talking about the consumer side. We're talking about the freight side. So I'm looking forward to learning more about Uber. So before we get into the topic today, Raj, please introduce yourself and your company. Absolutely. My name is Raj Sabaya. I head the product development team for Uber Freight. I've been with Uber Freight for a couple of years now. I'm based out of San Francisco. Very nice. But we do have our teams distributed across a whole lot of uh, different offices. So Raj, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined the mighty Uber. Right on. I was born in a place, in a small place called Pondicherry in India. It's a small French uh, Union territory. And through my childhood, did you, say, did you say French? French territory, yes. It was. It was. A and say what's the name of? Say that slowly, so I can hear that again. Pondicherry. It oh is actually a very touristy area. We have a place of worship called uh, Mother Ashram. That's pretty famous. But anyway, I grew up, moved around quite a bit, lived in South India and North, traveled through my childhood, and eventually ended up in Texas, which is where I went to school. Now, where'd you go? Oh, I went to school at Texas A&M. I am an Aggie and graduated. All right. <laughs> Football's doing well. Yeah, yes. Yes, it is. I'm an Aggie, graduated with a master's in computer science. Eventually, I did go back to school at University of Washington, so I'm a Husky as well. And then later All on, right. I went to Berkeley, so I'm a Bear as well. So so, so I, did, I did go to all of these places. And you studied, te- you studied technology in all those places? I studied, yes, I studied computer science, and then I went to uh, University of Washington to study statistics, and uh, at Berkeley, I got my MBA. That's how you end up in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's it's not a very popular path in going back to school that many times, but yes, it, did, it has helped me quite a bit. But that's how you ended up at the top of product development at Uber, huh? So tell us, tell us a little bit about your career after you left school. Yeah, I started my career as a, as a developer, programmer, worked a very short stint at NVIDIA, and then left to go work on a startup with a buddy of mine where we were trying to build a real estate classified site for the Southeast Asian market. We did everything wrong that we possibly could, but we were fortunate to exit. And then once once we did that, I realized the most challenging part of that entire journey for me was to figure out exactly what to build, why to build that, and if people would be willing to pay for it. So that kind of led me into product management. I stopped being a developer, I was into product management. And for those, you know, for your listeners who are not very familiar with that term, product usually product management team helps to decide what to build. And then the engineering team decides to build, you know, figure out figures out how to build that. Yeah, you're that connection between the uh, users and the and the coders. 
that's that yeah the users the business model and the programmers yes that's that's the world we live in so i there was a very interesting role that opened up at microsoft i worked on a bunch of different teams within microsoft but most notably on the bing team where me and my team were building machine learning models that can help answer your search questions automatically i it was a very interesting time this is when google was famously using heuristics non machine learning algorithms to respond to search queries and we were at that point trying at point in time trying to deploy machine learning models at scale so very uh, learned a lot uh, worked with some really incredible people but then after a while I was looking for a change and eventually moved on to Yelp where I did some of the same things helped them you know get better at search and then later on went on to lead all of the marketplace products we had we had acquired a food delivery company we had reservations we had wait lists we had a whole bunch of marketplace products around home and local businesses this is like things like plumbers and, and contractors so i spent the better half of the decade building out supply side supply driven marketplaces and demand driven marketplaces and then kind of just learning about what kind of makes them grow Nice. So when and why did you join Uber? I, yeah, I was I was there at Yelp for for quite a while. I was again looking for a change and very fortunately I was I was introduced to Lior through a common through a common friend. And that was my first introduction to Uber Freight and also the logistics space in in general and I still slowly started learning about that space and just how incredibly massive and complicated it is and how incredibly underserved it was by technology so they kind of drew me to that space you know it's 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 also a very hard space to operate in like the margins are then you you know if that if you're coming in as a tech company it's you have to learn know to operate in the real world and i do think from that point of view if uber has done that again well, you know more than once where they've taken a business built technology around it and then uh, learned to operate in that space in the real world so that plus the the incredible team that Lior had built with both technologists on one side and also industry experts on the other wait who who's the name you're saying there what's the guy's name Lior Ron okay see the founder he is the head of Uber Freight yes Very nice. Very nice. That's a good job, I think. Yes, yes. He's uh, and we, you know, in the la- we've been we've, Uber Freight I believe was, you know, quotes uh, born in 2017 and we've done incredibly well, you know, and a lot of it is is um your tradition. Very nice. Well, it's interesting when we were prepping for this, we talked a little bit about this and you know, you worked at Yelp, you worked at Bing, you worked at these different products that are that technology that is customer facing, which is very normal in the consumer side of our lives, right? So we're used to being on Amazon. I use Bing by the way. Using <laughs> use don't don't tell Google. They they don't know my site. <laughs> But on our in our consumer lives, we're so used to using technology platforms that have this wonderful consumer experience that we've gotten used to. And I think then when we go to the other side of our life, our professional life, sometimes we're exposed to clunky tech. Or yeah, there's a great technology that but you got to go through that freight broker and he uses the great technology. Or maybe it wasn't that great a technology and that's why they they don't expose you to it, but we're quickly moving to the place where the technology platform is the consumer ex- that has the same experience as we have on the consumer side but also on top of that it, it's where we can connect i think we're all really comfortable with that and i said it before on the podcast but 
when you use Amazon to have some stuff delivered to your house and, and you see this is so simple and then you go, wait a sec, I ordered a million dollars worth of stuff and I don't have that same experience. How can this be? My sweater and socks have this fantastic experience. My million dollars worth of freight, I got to get phone calls on. It made no sense. So I get why you're here. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I do think that was one of the things I mentioned earlier, which is it just feels like technology has underserved this space in, in, a, in a whole lot of different ways. And the way this industry has been, you know, been operating at such large scale, even without that support is because of the incredible people right. who are operating in this space, right? So, so yes, I'm super happy to be in this space. I do think it's a massive opportunity for everyone involved. And it is it's some interesting times for the future. Yep. And I think also, you know, it is, it has been underserved traditionally, not so much anymore. We're getting, we got the tech guys here. And I always say, you better jump on. When the tech guys get here, they, they're like Alabama. They're like the Patriots. They are going, well, the Patriots with Tom Brady, they are going to win. So get on board. They're like 11 and 0. I think one of the reasons it was underserved is because it was such a disconnected, when you talk about, say, a carrier, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of carriers, right? And then you say brokers, tons of brokers, shippers, tons of shippers, all the different locations. And that's that's just domestically. We're not even talking about the connection to all of our trading partners. So it was such a big thing. It was one thing when you said we're going to wire up our office or our plant. That was easy compared to wiring up a whole bunch of companies that have no reason to be wired to you yet. That's true. That's true. Anyway, let's talk about some of the problems that are out there that you kind of, the, the reason Uber got into this space, and you kind of alluded to them already, but one of them was just that it felt really underserved. We'll talk some about some of the problems that you guys see out there, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, what you guys are doing to solve those problems. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I first jumped on, obviously had the new person goggles, and I was able to be that dumb person asking questions on, on, on why certain things were done a certain way. And one thing, uh, there were a few things I realized. One was uh, incredible people in this space, super smart, extremely hardworking, and then people who just had a bunch of get it done attitude. No matter what what things they had, what tools they had, they were, you know, they, if a load had to get there, they'll figure out a way. A lot of hustle. Utmost respect <laughs> for that. But that has been covering up for the fact that, you know, there's no other way to say it, but tech has underserved this industry for a while. What I saw, one of the first things I noticed was that everything was incredibly manual. You want to tender a load, it's an email. Want to get a carrier, you get that person on the phone. You know, and the problem with, with manual is not just it takes human capital, but also you tend to make decisions that are, you know, based on your local maximum. What you see in front of you, you can optimize the best of that, but you don't tend to make global maximum decisions. For example, a single carrier rep probably has a direct relationship with maybe 40, 50 carriers. And if that carrier had to book, let's just say, 15 to 20 loads a day, those are the people, that's the network that that person can actually imagine when they're making right. decisions. Questions, things like, you know, whether this there is a better appointment that we can actually schedule to maximize utilization of the carriers. Those never get asked, right? And, and th those kinds of questions are just too far down the funnel for, for someone to get to if they're operating manually. That's one. The second piece was there was just so much tribal knowledge in this space, right? Uh, including in very extremely hard problem spaces like pricing, 
right? Right. This meant that pricing strategies needed to be a little inside the box. Things like you cannot have different channel pricing strategies. You you don't necessarily you can't make real time decisions on pricing based on things like booking velocity and things like that. So. The, the entire pricing strategy, even if you have a group of extremely smart people, was still going to be a little rudimentary. So that piece was also not necessarily easy to solve with just human human power. And then, you know, I think you mentioned this uh, a little bit, which is if you're a shipper, 70% of the people who are working on a load, on moving that shipper's load, are outside the walls of the shipper. And they all operate within their own silos. Some of them use emails, right. you know, brokers use DMS, carriers use their own DMS. They don't necessarily talk to each other. And it, it's just very obvious that there is, needs to be one source of truth, a single pane to kind of view the world through. And I, that does not exist. And the hard part in creating that pain is that you kind of have to operate at scale to, to create it. That, that thing. Right. So Raj, let me summarize here. So we talked about this space and we talked about this space being traditionally underserved by technology. And part of the reason is because there's so many players. You got the shippers, we got the carriers, millions of connection points. And then we have all these brokers and 3PLs. So we have this very spread out infrastructure and it's hard to connect. That's why they waited for us until last, right? Another thing you talk about is tribal knowledge. And part of the problem with tribal knowledge, it's a good thing. It's also a bad thing because we all have biases. And also, if you have tribal knowledge, it can quit and go down the street. So what are some other challenges we have in the space? Right. I mean, the expectations of our shippers have also changed. I think in this day and age, with, with global warming and everything, there's a lot of consciousness in terms of how environmentally friendly we are. And, and that kind of lends its hand to our utilization problem, right? Because 80, only 80% of all the miles driven, 79 to 80% of miles driven by, by trucks today are all loaded miles. The rest you can view as unloaded and empty miles. And this, again, you know, kind of is, is basically a, a network optimization problem that's kind of screaming at us to go solve it. There was a recent study around this where from the MIT Center of Transportation Logistics, where they looked at about 1,500 drivers over two years. And what they saw that saw was that the utilization was nowhere near the 11 hours a day mark that we all assume they're at today. You know, given right. that you it. there were more after six, six and a half hours on average. That just means that there's a lot more optimization around the utilization of these carriers that we can actually do. Right. And you think about, we all want a better experience for drivers. We know that it's a tough job. There's a reason there's vacancies and why we're all trying to hire more drivers. We waste their time still. I, I, I joke about this, but it's really no joke. Raj, if I was to drive all the way out to San Francisco to see you and I got there and you said, I called and said, Raj, I'm here. And you said, hey, I'm having lunch. I'll be out in like an hour or so. I would wait just so I could punch you in the mouth. <laughs> we do that to drivers all the time. Imagine driving a long distance and then somebody saying, hey, would you mind sitting in your car for a little while? First off, I'm getting old. I can't even sit in the car that long. It's unbelievable what we do, but we waste their time. So we, they're the valuable hours. They could be home with their families. We waste their time. If we can start utilizing those assets, the, the drivers and the trucks better because of better information, 
that means they're going to want to work. We'll have more drivers. Exactly right. Yeah. And I think also what's cool about the technologies that companies like yours are developing is at some point you'll be able to say, here are some of the locations that are notoriously slow at loading. And by the way, there's no, sometimes sometimes it's the nature of the business and that not to be critical, but maybe you want to charge a little extra. Maybe maybe there's some other discussions that need to be had. So you say, so we stopped wasting their time. I, I think, Joe, I think that you bring up a very interesting point. In fact, one of our most carrier favorite features on Uber Freight is that they can look at a facility and they can look at the dwell to average dwell times of the facility and then uh-huh. decide whether they want to actually book that load or not. And then what we've been talking to our carriers, what we've learned is that they know this. They know this by having moved loads, loads to certain facilities, but they know it for a very small number of facilities. So if they say facility one, okay, that's just notorious for making me wait. I'm going to make sure that I get paid extra if a load goes right. into the facility versus not. And we've actually been able to prove that with the data release. Right. And I think also that starts making shippers aware that this is a resource that is tight. So maybe that you need to say, we're going to move some of our loads to not live unloads. So we're just going to, we're going to drop and hook. Right. And if you say we've become more of a shipper of choice because we do it that way. Fantastic. We got to just start. And again, we, we can be guided by the data. If you don't have any data, if it's all just tribal knowledge or you go, yeah, those guys are always slow. Well, maybe you know that. Maybe the few carriers you work with know that. But it's different when you say, yep, based on lots of shipments, here's what we know. That's where we got to get to. Absolutely. And, and there's you know, one other thing that I was recently talking to a researcher on the team and what she had mentioned is that it's super interesting to see when when research no longer just be is a part of just academia and it's being right in the real world i do think we've always had data and i do think at this point we're all asking the right questions because we're scratching our heads trying to find the, the right level of capacity and how to address the future capacity shortage and i do think like now we're open to kind of figuring out those solutions you where where tech can come in and kind of uh, solve it for us right i also think it's be great if you could get to the place and i'm sure you can where you say that is only 350 miles but it takes a lot longer because of the traffic patterns maybe there's more accidents and once we have data we can start making better decisions across the board and i think that's going to be where we find third party companies, freight brokers, whatever you want to call them, as more and more of the transactions become automated, they're going to move back into the role of uh, data scientists. I don't even know if that's the right word, but providing value by saying, hey, here's some bottlenecks that we can look at. Here's some here's some roads we should avoid. Here's some locations that need to improve on their lo- loading and unloading. You can start to get above the fray a little bit because the nature of this business has always been like the buildings on fire, right? <laughs> Where you walk through a, a building and they're shouting and screaming and happy people and angry people. We got to get out of that and get to the place where you say, this runs smoothly. <laughs> lots of automation, lots of interesting insights that we're dealing with that are going to be proactive, not reactive. Right. That's a that's a very, very valid point. And, and it's basically how we look at um, this the, the problems in this industry as well. You know, where there's always going to be human capital is going to be involved. Exceptions will happen. Trucks will break down. Things will go wrong. But then those touches tend to be of much higher value than just figuring out all right, where is the truck? Is it on its way to, you know, to, to for the pickup? 
And if it's not on its way, is there something we can actually do? One of the good byproducts of moving to automation is that for every any sort of algorithm, any heuristic, it's almost data is king, right? Garbage in, garbage out. So we invest a lot of effort into making sure we're looking at all of the data that's available, external, internal, derived data. And then that kind of helps us move from this purely reactive world that we're in, which is like, oh, the truck broke down. I'm going to let my broker know. It's going to take me an hour to let the broker know. The broker needs right. to go find a new carry. And then, you know, it's so... Between the time when the incident happens to when the actual outcome of it happens, there's like a good four to five hours, right. by which time the customer has already lost the ability to move their load. So us by able to be, uh, you know, we're kind of like putting in the plumbing to look at the entire world. We are now able to start moving from slowly, but surely moving from purely reactive to more predictive. Okay, we've got to go pick up this load. It's about four hours away. The truck is still you know, not on its way. So so maybe we should bounce that carrier. Maybe we should call the carrier and let them know. Right. So I want to summarize some of these, some of the challenges that you guys, Uber Freight Sauce, this is why they got into the business, is again, a huge market, lots of players, all disconnected, all using different systems. There's no single pane of glass that I can look at all of this activity. So we're all disconnected. Secondly, just tremendously underserved in technology. And and then when we started getting technology, it was all siloed, which is which is a good start, except when you talk about end-to-end visibility or end-to-end collaboration, it doesn't work when you have silos. So we need to connect all the information into a system that can give us that worldview, right? They give us that 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 systemic view as opposed to a whole bunch of, you know, localized uh, optimums. Last but not least, tribal knowledge. Again, tribal knowledge is great. It's just it can quit and go down the street. <laughs> also, it can have biases. It, it's built on biases. Also, our shippers are demanding more. They use the same consumer, consumer tech that we do. They say, I want that. Bars are higher. Last but not least, we talked about sustainability. Only 79% of the truck miles are full miles. So that's 21% of it is just waste. Bad for the driver because he's not getting paid as much sometimes bad for the broker, bad for the shipper, super bad for the environment. When we look at 5% of gas house, greenhouse emissions are trucks, 20% of that, 1% total of the all emissions is for driving air around. That is ridiculous. And we got to get rid of that. So if you guys can help on that by connecting all the players and say, let's get fewer miles because what that tells us also is we're not doing a good job with backhauls. So switching gears, let's talk a little bit about what Uber does different and better. And again, why they kind of entered this, entered the fray. What's the first thing you guys do different and better? You know, one of the first things is the tech first approach is what I would say, where when there is a fire, we try not to just put out the fire by throwing buckets of water at it. We try to try to send the fire into it. It's how, you know, it's how we internally talk about it. How do, how do we avoid the next fire? <laughs> yeah, how do we avoid? Yes, absolutely. So we, when we solve for a problem, it might take longer to solve for that, but then we, we solve it in a very platform-centric way. I'll give you an example. When, you know, in 2019 and 2020, we had a very large tracking team. And, and their sole job was to call and make sure that the carriers were going to be on time. It was a very hard job. It was it was hard to reach the truck driver at the right time. The truck drivers hated getting calls all the time from us. 
And then we knew that even if we added scale in terms of number of people, we're just not going to solve it through just that mechanism. So we went out and built out, built out like the most connected network within a brokerage that's possible. So almost 86, 86% of our loads today are being tracked automatically, either because they were booked on our app or because we've written code to connect directly to the ELDs or because we're getting it from a third party partner. Right. And that kind of just re- removed the need for like having, you know, the, the, the these are people who can go do ha- add other value, high, high value touches elsewhere. And what that also let us do is things like, you know, being able to predict when a truck is going to be late and then, you know, automatically take action because of that. So being that tech centric, that, that's just core to who we are and, and being that tech first tech centric platform is what one, one of the things that I do think we definitely bring to the table. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about a driver, you know, if you're driving down the expressway and you see a truck next to you and the guy's talking on the phone, then that freak you out a little bit. <laughs> like, well, that's a ridiculous way to, to do business. If, I, if I'm with my friends and family, I do not want to see a truck driver. And I'm sure he doesn't want to take that. Those yeah. guys, safety is their gig, right? The idea that they got to answer the phone and go, yeah, Joe, uh, I'm running about 10 minutes late. Thanks for calling. Click. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> And then you can also imagine, right, if they have a pickup load at about 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., that means we have to call them in the middle of the night, wake them up from sleep, and then confirm that they're going to be there at that spot. It's just, right. it's just you know, a, a definite lose-lose-lose situation across the board there. So I'm glad we fixed that. Yep. The, the other, other piece is, like, you know, one other area that we, I think, because this tech-first approach has helped us, is, like, the whole network optimization problem things we talked about a little bit a little bit earlier one interesting phenomenon that we noticed was that when drivers booked loads through our app they were looking for reloads meaning they wanted to either you know f- figure out the next one a backhaul <laughs> back yeah in fact a very large percentage of the loads booked through our app were in essence organically bundled so we took that information we looked at all of the data and then we built an algorithm that automatically builds bundles and offers them to our partners. The interesting part here is that the bundles that we built was almost, you know, it reduced deadhead miles, is empty miles by almost 26%. Huge reduction. And wow. that's because we're able to take a look at the global data. Not No one person is going to be able to look through all of the loads and then decide, okay, these are the best two loads to kind of bundle. So this is the kind of, you know, solutions we'll actually end up with if we do think, you know, of, of like a, of a tech first way of approaching problems. Right. You know, I got to tell you, when I, I, I used to run a little 3PL, I was the general manager, COO. We were non-asset based and we did a great job. I was very happy and proud of the work we did. We grew. Then I quit and I went down the street and I was at a carrier and they had like 500 trucks. And I thought, you know, if there's one problem you always run into when you're at a broker or a 3PL you don't have assets. Sometimes people want you to own the assets. Less so now, but when you call and say, hi, this is Joe. And I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they say, do you have your own trucks? And I say, no, click, they're done, right? So now I'm at a trucking company. I think this is going to be like shooting fish in a barrel because we have 500 trucks. Every time I found a new customer, I'd say, this is going from Chicago to El Paso. They would say, that's cool. We want to go to El Paso find us a backhaul or we're not going to let you sell that business. And sometimes there's a big imbalance between the West, uh, Texas and the Midwest. 
And so you always have to fight with that. And not having a backhaul meant I couldn't win that business. No trucker wants to get stranded down there. I mean, not not that you would, not that he would drive all the way down there. But when you miss a backhaul, you're missing a lot of money. And again, horrible for the environment, horrible for the carrier, horrible for everybody involved suffers when there's not a backhaul. Right. And it's also hard, right? If you're an owner operator, if you're one, one person operation, if you think about it, the amount of time they just spend figuring out what the next right load is and then still not arrive at the best option that right. they could possibly have picked. It just, you know, it's, there's just a better, it's got to be a better solution. And I, I do think we're all, we as an industry are moving towards that. Right. The first thing we talked about is this tech-centric approach. You're not throwing headcount at it. You're throwing coders at it. We're going to solve that problem uh, with technology. Second, you started to get into this being carrier-centric. So what are some of the advantages companies, carriers have working with you as opposed to like a traditional broker? Yeah. One of the things that sort of incredibly proud of, but uh, we're afraid of that, they almost tend to, we almost tend to put because always almost always put customers front and center. In this case, on the carrier side, we knew owner operators were were the you know the future. So we invested heavily into making our app almost fully self serve. What I mean by that is they can go open you know if you were you know back in the day if you were an owner operator you needed to have relationships with brokers with shippers. A lot of them sometimes. <laughs> right. To bring, be able to bring in continuous revenue. Today, you just download a few apps and then you can just now start seeing which loads to move. You have access to almost all the same loads that everyone else out there has. We were able to introduce new features, things like committed capacity to owner operators. This was previously only available to, to larger fleets, right? This is where, if for example, for, for those of you listening what, and, and not very clear on what committed capacity is, this is where we go to a carrier and say, Hey, move the same load three times a week, and then we'll pay you a consistent revenue for that. So if I were an owner operator and I wanted to earn consistent revenue, let's just say three times a week, and I want to, I want to play the spark market for the remainder of the week, I can now do that. I can just download an app, look at all the links that Uber Freight has to offer, bid on one, and then become primary on, the, on that link. And then every, every, every single week, you get consistent uh, loads on those lanes that you can actually move. Very nice. On this one, this maybe one touch on one thing is that I think you touched on this uh, a little earlier, which is like the life of a carrier is incredibly hard. I mean, it changes the your your plan for the day changes on what your what's going to happen over the next right. hour. And then there's so many, so much variation in how they get compensated for that. So we we made a call and we said, okay, we're going to make things like detention pay very, very standard, very transparent, and very easy for people to go and file. So as a carrier, you go in, you ha- we have the policies clearly written out on exactly what they need to do. Once they do it, they submit it. More often than not, 80% plus of our, of our submissions tend to be auto-approved on our end. So bringing in automation, you know, it's, a, it's a, just a small thing on our end, but it's a huge needle-moving experience change on the carriers. Right. So let's just say, are most of the carriers you're working with, they download your, your app? So yes, they can they can access our... Um, uh, so we have a million plus downloads of the app, and we have hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of carriers uh, who have used our, our product and continue using it. So, so let's just say I pull up into uh, my pickup, or I'm going to pick up the load... And it records when I got there, right? So the your your either through the ELD or through the app, you go that Joe got there at twelve oh five. He's supposed to be there 
five minutes ago, but he's he's there. At 2.05, it's just to say the two hours was agreed to flex flex in there. At 2.05, it says, bam, detention's got to be paid on this one. So it's yeah, there's some policies on, you know, some... some right, no, I understand. There, but in general, yes, that's about right. So we, we record when they're in there and we record when they're applying for detention. And then once we have that data point, it's just super easy for us to kind of make that decision. And, we end up- and I just think back to just not so long ago where Carrier says, no, I got there at 12.05. And, the, and then they, later on, you hear from the shippers say, no, Joe got here like 2.15. So no, we're not paying detention. And then then it's a he said, she said, which is not good for business. So we we made the call that we will actually pay the carriers no matter what. If they meet our policy guidelines, we actually end up paying them out of our pocket. And then we invoice the shippers later. And then that's a different it's thing. It's your problem. <laughs> yeah, that's our problem. We will go figure that out with, the ship, uh, with our shippers. But this is just, you know, this is just one-on-one of, of tracking experience that we feel like. Well, you've taken, you've taken that risk and that hassle off of them. And some of it's technology, but as the other piece is just recognizing that this is wanting to be a better partner. Better partner and also setting expectations, right? I don't want this to be a mystery every time I work. If I were a truck driver and work with Uber Freight, I don't want this to be a mystery on a load-per-load basis. I want a consistent experience Uber Freight, tell me exactly what it is that you're okay with, how much you'll pay me. Okay, if I hit that criteria, I want that guarantee that you'll pay me, and that's what we're off. So one other thing while we're talking, so what's the advantage? Do, what, do, what do, Is there any advantage? they get any financial advantage to working with you guys because they use your app? Yes, a few things, actually. One, you know, like I said, one of the things was the consistent revenue that you can actually now have, you know, have a chance of earning. Second part is we actually pay our carriers really quick. So typically, you know, I'd say the, the vast majority, 99% of our the loads, 95% of the loads, I believe we pay within seven days. And then more on, on average, I think we pay them within two days. So you move a load, you don't need to go to a factoring company to get paid for that load. We actually pay you right away as quickly as possible. And we're looking into ways of making that even more instantaneous and offer more. It's interesting because virtually everybody can say this. I'm not your bank, right? (laughs) But in trucking, you've got a very expensive asset that you're moving around and it sucks up all that gas and you got to live on the road. There's a lot of expenses. And and if they don't get that money in their pocket, maybe it doesn't allow them to do the next gig. If if you're waiting on a whole bunch of, of money could come to you, you say, I can't run my truck this week because these guys didn't pay me. Right. So yeah, that's a that's a biggie. <laughs> if you get me loaded on time, pay my detention, <laughs> find me my next load, and pay me really, really fast, you're gonna be the carrier's friend, right? You know, and, and, and our our the response so far from carriers have been excellent on all these things. By the way, I suspect this has already happened. Maybe maybe you would know this, maybe not, but I suspect you've had at some point a shipper say, "Hey, you don't need to go through Uber. You can go through directly to us." And I bet carriers say. No, I need two day. I need I need to be paid in two to seven days. I don't want to get paid in thirty days, you know, right? Because this is an advantage. They, I know that happens. Right. My, you know, I haven't personally heard a shipper say. That. In fact, I think they want to hand off more more things to us as opposed to the other way around. But but you know, I but I you know, it's the nature of the fast pay is people realize right. that I can't get it everywhere, so. Right. I want that. And again, it's a it, money's addicting that way, Raj. <laughs> no, I fully understand that. I 
and it's money they earned or pay an extremely high interest rate for that two to three percent right the money that you earn through through a factory company and i this is no criticism of a factoring company that it's like working with a bookie i mean it's expensive <laughs> so let's talk about another advantage of you guys so the tech-centric approach again really also carrier-centric so what's another thing that's uh, you know makes you guys different and better on the on the shipper side, we've actually released multiple products over the last couple of years. And one one there are a couple of pieces here. One is we work from shippers all the way from the large enterprises, you know, the the the, the big the ones you can imagine to uh, you know a, a mom and pop shop that actually ships out once once a week. And we we have platforms built that can handle you know both sides of that spectrum really well. So on the one side, we have Shipper Platform, which is almost a, well, almost a self-serve uh, way for anyone to go in and then get a price for a single load or for a couple loads over the next 14 to 21 days. And they can, you know, just create that and then boom, their, their load is already on our, on our platform. But one thing that in particular I want to kind of highlight is something that is a product we call Market Access. This is where we gave act, uh, we gave shippers direct access to our marketplace through a product. So they can go onto our product, create a load, and pay exactly what the market wants. And then obviously there'll be a percentage fee that Uber Freight takes, but it's a very transparent uh, percentage fee. But that's incredibly helpful in getting guaranteed coverage on very hard to cover loads. What what we, in the last year, especially where contracts were being repriced constantly or primaries were rejecting the, the, the loads that were tendered to them, we saw a huge influx of, of loads coming into this, this specific channel where shippers can go in, create the load, set the priority of the load, say like, hey, this is very, very urgent, move it for me today. Right. Whatever the market price is that is what the shipper pays. Or they can be a little bit more flexible. I can they can go in and say, hey, this is not a very high priority load. Get try to get me the best price for it. And then they have all the controls, they have all the visibility of what our marketplace is actually doing. And then and then they they basically can come in and operate for a large percentage of the loads they move on top of that right and again i think another i said it earlier but i'll say it again the world is moving towards technology that's customer facing so again the in the olden days 15 20 years ago technology was created for the back office for the hr systems for the for your user requirements or for for some financial stuff right now this is customer facing and it's you know we're seeing this everywhere in our consumer life people love that stuff and what's cool about it is you can keep tweaking it and making it more intuitive, more useful, simpler, and that's this the nature. So whatever you, you guys have the, today, I'm sure it's wonderful, but you know next year it'll be even more wonderful because that's the nature of technology. doesn't always happen when it's with people because you can have people in processes and you go, yeah, I lost two or three of my all-stars and the new guys aren't following the process, all of a sudden lost. That doesn't happen with technology. It gets better and better and better. And look at look at all the technology we use. So we talked about again this tech centric approach, which is throwing rather than hiring a whole bunch of heads and saying, "Hey, do more, do more, do more with headcount." You're doing your coding. We talked about the advantage to the carriers. We talked about some of the advantages to shippers. Uh, what is another advantage you want to talk about when it comes to our friends at Uber Freight? The, you know, one other piece and probably a very large portion of 
that determines how we operate is just the expertise, right? Expertise and the technology that we've had when we were building Uber. Uber is a logistics company in, in a lot of ways. Uh, we started with moving people around. Then we evolved into businesses that move things like food and now a whole lot of other things around. And we learned a lot of lessons of being a tech company that also knows to, to operate in the real world. And we have a lot of extremely smart and capable folks who came and joined Uber Freight's journey from Uber and brought their expertise along in the, our ability to actually price things, our ability to actually, you know, do things real time at scale. All of these things, there were so many lessons that we learned when we were building up other businesses. And we felt we, you know, we directly learn from all those lessons while we're building up Uber Freight. Yeah. You know, there's a common theme on my podcast is you let technology do the stuff that technology is good at and then free people up to be people, right? I don't, you know, every once in a while you go to the grocery store and then if you get the actual, not self-checkout, I've had that, the system say, thank you. And I was like, did you really need to automate the thank you? Can't that person say thank you? That's a silly thing to me because- People want to react. They want that human interaction. But if I can move more and more of the stuff that belongs with technology, I free my people up to, again, not only have that systemic view, not only to have the, the worldview and be able to make proactive improvements, but also to have a conversation, get to know people, get to know the problem. What, what other problems can we solve for you? So often in this business, it is just a firefight and you never get around to a conversation with a guy you work with every day beyond moving freight. <laughs> right. It is, it is, it does sometimes get transactional, right? Uh, and I had a professor who used to say, a solution is almost always a function of problems that you're seeing and the people who are in it to solve it. And I do think when, when there's, when there's a huge amount of transactional nature of relationships in this, we do lose that, that, that value. Right. That so I know you guys probably have a lot of automated, uh, shipment transactions. What percentage of your loads are mostly automated or completely automated? So yeah, I'll, I'll call on a couple of things. One is 95% of all the loads on that are get, that are through Uber Freight are booked through the app meaning carriers actually go through the app and then book it 95% frees up our carrier sales team to go do, you know, high value things. They're not every day manning the phone phone to basically right. go find five carriers. And then some of this really hard things like automatically pricing and then putting it on the, on the, on our load board, 80% of all, all the carrier pricing is fully automated, no touch. So uh shipper tenders a load to us, we automatically price it. We automatically adjust the price based on when it needs to be book, booked and whether, you know, that area is having a lot of, what do you call it? Carrier liquidity, carrier availability. So we automatically change prices and all of that is being done without ops touch. And then, like I mentioned, 86% of all the loads that get booked through Uber get tracked on it. I mean, there's still nice. a lot of other pieces that we need to go figure out. One other area that we are really, you know, it's really hard to go solve for, but it's super important is appointment schedule. We're working on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the appointment at, at a location has a very large influence on the price at which a person will be, a carrier will be willing to move a load. 
if you help them maximize utilization, you know, it's good for them, good for us, good for the fellowshipers involved as well. Uh, but it is, you know, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of how distributed the solutions are. So kind of tying all of the pieces together is, is a hard. Right. So you guys are using artificial intelligence and machine learning. Now, do you guys, is that, is that gets, I'm assuming it gets smarter every day, right? As it gets more data and it, it and you improve the algorithms, I'm sure at some point you're just getting better and better and better at predicting what's going to happen in the market and predicting, take, taking like this last year or two, which has been crazy for everybody. Your machine learning, your artificial intelligence is able to make adjustments where that tribal knowledge that somebody could be really knowledgeable in this space for 30 years, but they've never been through a pandemic. <laughs> right. So talk to how that AI ML works. I like to say that because I think it makes me sound smarter, even though I don't know much about it. Right. <laughs> no, no, I think I think you, you touched on a very, very important area. First is that one, yes, you're absolutely right. It gets better with time, it gets better with more data, and it gets better with better algorithms. A very large percentage of our data science team spent uh, spend a lot of effort and time figuring all of these pieces out. So we collect data, both internally and externally. We look at all, you know, what everything is available there. And then we basically go in and then figure out which of those are very promising inputs. And we go in and we go through a variable selection process. So we have, we come up with a hypothesis, we investigate, and then we validate that whether that hypothesis is right or right or wrong. And then we, when we, when we're doing a predictive model, we try and basically uh, fit the predictive model based on historical data and, and, and cross-validate that. So this, there's a lot of work involved in making sure that we have the right data, we're giving that right data the right importance, and then we're doing the right amount of testing before we actually push that machine learning model on. You know, we, we have both supervised models, which is where you basically go and go in with the, like labeled information saying this is good, this is bad, and then unsupervised, which is basically us saying like, hey, this is the total outcome that we want to actually have. You go figure out, tell the, the model, you go figure out what you need to do, which, which of this information is good and bad. So we, we do both of those things. And then the other piece that I, that I do want to call out is that when we have the data, so the two areas where how we get better. One is the model for which, for the specific use case gets better over time. And then it opens up new use cases as well. And I think that is also a huge area for us to go invest in that we're investing in. We get the data, we solve a specific use case. And then now we're like, all right, we can actually use this data to go after this other use case in our in our execution layer. And, and that's another place for it. Right. So we talked about the importance of sustainability. And I know it's just a matter of time before. So you said only 79% of trucks are carrying anything, right? So the others are moving empty. The worst thing in the world for our bottom line is driving around an empty truck. Dead for everybody. Right. What's going to be interesting, and I expect to see this very soon from techies like yourself, is being able to kind of flag the type of business that results in empty miles after. So I move a truck and you say, I'm just make this up for a second. If you said, hey, there's a disproportionate amount of trucks that go to Los Angeles and leave empty. That so that so it flags it and starts and it would be great when you start to say these are the ones that are flagged because they're going to places where there's no and, and we know some of that again you the tribal knowledge we know some of those locations because we've dealt with them but when you can start to have a lot more knowledge around the data 
it's going to be fantastic. And again, I expect these insights, this is still new. I expect these insights to become really incredible in the coming years. Absolutely. And I think when we start, you know, when we start doing this at massive scales, I think I think the amount of value we can actually get from that it just it just grows. All right, man, we've covered a lot of ground here. So, Raj, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'm going to give a quick summary, and then I want to get your final thoughts on this topic, and then I want to hear what's going on over at Uber Freight. So, first off, there's a lot of challenges in the market. This is the reason Uber got into the business. Is there's a higher standard. We have shippers who just want more. They want more technology like they have in their consumer lives. They also want us to do something about sustainability. They want a solution. Our The shippers we work with are going to come under a lot of pressure uh, from the government and from their customers to do better on sustainability. And guess who they're going to ask to help? Their logistics and supply chain partners. So um, you mentioned tribal knowledge. It's great, but it's limited, can be biased. It, it only takes you so far. And again, it can quit any day it wants. This market's always been underserved when it comes to technology. And I, I think one of the reasons it's been so underserved is because it's so vast. It's got so many players using different systems or avoiding different systems. So you guys uh, over at Uber Freight, you got this tech-centric approach, which I think most everyone would agree is better than a non-tech-centric approach. You got some really cool programs for carriers, great solution for the shippers, and then this whole idea of the technology, you know, that we just talked about with the AI and the machine learning and automation. Enough of my blather. Put a bow on this bad boy, Raj. <laughs> no, no, I think I think you summarized summarized our conversation better than I could, Joe. You know, at the end, end, end of the day, I do think you know it comes you know, for a marketplace to work. Uh, and this, you know, when I when I view uh, the logistics freight industry, especially, it is a true marketplace. There, there are multiple players in there. For a marketplace to really, really work, it has to work for everybody. And I do think, and and that's one of the hardest challenges in the space is that you have to build a product that works really well for shippers. You have to build a product that works really well for carriers. And you have to build a product that really works well, works well for you as a broker. And then you have to do this without being able to constrain the marketplace in any possible way. If you have, you know, one of the, one of the pieces is in marketplace theory is usually is that you constrain it geographically. You try to build a marketplace within, let's just say, California. But in this, you can't. You have to do it across, across, across all, all of the U.S. And that's where I do think like this whole global optimization problem is just, is just begging to be, to be better solved by, by technology. Excellent. Excellent. So before you go, Raj, tell us what's new over at Uber Freight. Yeah. I mean, we've had a very exciting couple of years now. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, people have heard about that our, that we recently closed our, our acquisition with Transplace incredible people, incredibly smart people there. And then we and my team were all very, very curious to learn more from them. So so that's one that's one thing right off the bat. They're a pretty tech-centric company too, right? They're extremely tech-centric. They're extremely customer focused. And you know, this, you know, goes back to my earlier point. Logistics is filled with incredible people, can do attitude. And, and the fact that they've, you know, you see so many people sticking around in this, in the same industry for this long is just as a, as a person who worked in multiple tech companies, it's just very new to me. <laughs> but they bring in a lot of expertise, a lot of incredibly smart people. And, and we're very, very, very curious to learn a lot. And then we built out a few products on our end, uh, new launches. I mentioned market access. 
that allows shippers to go directly to our to a marketplace, making it very, very transparent, giving them a lot of controls that they never had before. That's one. We're now offering LTL to our shippers. Oh wow. We heard our shippers loud and clear. They wanted they wanted a one-stop shop, uh, not just FDL. So we we're do, we're offering LTL now. And then we've also expanded into Canada. Our shipper platform, which is a self-serve platform, it now operates in Canada. So if you're if you're if you're a SMB or mid-market customer, you can go online to to Uber Freight and then create your load, and then boom, you're, you'll have access to uh, our platform. So is so is it just inside of Canada? There's also cross-border to U.S. It's it's mostly inside Canada. They're they're because the cross-border piece is not fully tech tech built. So, but we're most that's a that's a challenging problem. <laughs> yeah, it is a challenging problem. There are other interesting pieces as well. We just opened our tech uh, innovation center in Chicago. We we are now at the old post office building in, in Chicago. We've you know we also just recently announced a a fuel discount card uh, in partnership with with Marketa that we're super excited about. Uh, you know, again talking to our What's the what's the advantage of using that? Better just better fuel discounts and the fact that you can actually get your this is one of the things I was talking about, which is we're now trying to get the pay into a carrier's wallet instantaneously. And for us to be able to do that, we kind of need to build uh, some a financial platform on top of that. So if you're a carrier, the the idea is if you're a carrier and you get this card. As soon as you move the load, you approve a payment, you should be able to use your card on your end. And that's, that's what we work. Fantastic. And then hopefully, you know, that will expand into other things, but this, there should be very little need for a carrier to go, go use a, another third party service if they're actually moving a load through the freight to get paid. So that's, that's one of the areas we're investing in. And the last piece is our power loop, you know, which is our drop. Uh, offering. We've just expanded into Georgia as well. Oh, I didn't know you guys own Powerloop. I did a podcast on Powerloop right when it came out. Is that always, did you guys acquire that or is that a? No, Powerloop is our own internal name. This is basically where we we manage the trailers. Uh, we do contract with, with our shippers and it's it's uh, usually drop drop. So do you guys actually own trailers or do you just own the app that allows people to manage those trailers? We do both. We have two different programs, but this specific program is where we actually, we want to offer a high level of service to our customers where we get into contract with them. And this is where we basically lease trailers and we manage them. That's fantastic. Because again, it's just one way to make it easier for drivers. If they can just be on the road, drop, pick up another track trailer and get to to work you get you get paid to move <laughs> Not right, to sit right. wait. <laughs> it, it almost it's 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 a very no-brainer kind of a business but there are challenges there in, in oh yeah yeah i was just gonna say <laughs> maybe for you <laughs> that's a tough disc. <laughs> yeah well raj thank you so much again I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, what i'll do is i'll put a link to your linkedin profile so people will reach out to you you'll have to check God, I know some people don't check their messages and I'm always sending messages on LinkedIn. It's like my Slack. I'll send a, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to any, any, any website that you have on Uber that you want to share. I will put on the, in the show notes and really appreciate you taking the time. This is fantastic. You guys are doing some great work. Thank you, Joe. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me and for all the great second conversations. Yep. And thank all of you. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.